one of the hits that just keep on coming. It depends a bit on your perspective, but it's the great resignation. For employers, bosses, managers, it's been so stressful because it's been so hard to keep people and attract new people to work. And on the flip side of that, for employees who are driving almost all the turnover right now, there's the obvious issue of employees not wanting to work in jobs where they don't feel valued with their pay or their safety or other things. However, I think part of that, that most employees don't see or don't know what to do with, is a lack of purpose or mission. It's one thing for the company you work for to have a mission statement that you see all the time, but it's another thing to have a mission or a purpose that guides your decision making and the direction of your life, not just at work, but throughout your whole life. And I think many of the employees that have resigned or changed jobs during this pandemic did so because they are looking for greater purpose. Now, there is definitely something to be said for finding fulfillment in the work that we do. However, I also think there is a sense in which some segment of those people will never find their purpose outside of God's mission for the world. Because even in a pandemic, the mission of God is still important because of who is impacted by God's mission. More on that in a moment. Uh, we started the series called The Hits Just Keep On Coming because that is how 2021 ended and how 2022 has started, even though all of us were hoping for something better. And so we asked, what if the hits just keep on coming? How do we keep moving forward? How can we maintain or grow our faith if it doesn't get better this year? Now, my hope for all of us in this season is that God would help us develop and grow into pandemic-proof faith, a faith that is able to make it through anything. And so we've been looking at some principles that we can hold on to, and also some stories that when the hits just keep on coming, we can kind of look back on. So here's a quick recap of some of those principles for these challenging times when things might not get better for a while. In week one, we said, faith is best secured to actual promises, not possible outcomes. And then in week two, we said, grace is God working even when we don't see him working. And then week three, we said, community is essential, has to be intentional, and will be inconvenient. And last week, we started a story that will continue today about following Jesus, that following is asking for boldness and looking for opportunities to share Jesus. Uh, last week, the story that we started looking at was the story of Peter and John uh, just a few weeks after or a few months after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, they're being very vocal about what they saw from Jesus, namely that he rose from the dead. And well, that great boldness sort of got them arrested by the Jewish religious leaders. And so they spent a night in jail. Afterwards, they were again confronted by the Jewish authorities and told to quit talking about Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, after they left the jail, though, they went to meet up with a group of Jesus followers. And in that meeting with the Jesus followers, instead of sort of deciding to hunker down and tone down their message by not mentioning the resurrection or not mentioning the, mentioning the J name, instead of doing any of that, they prayed one of the first prayers of the church. And together, we prayed this prayer last week. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Like, you might say, well, like, wait, boldness, like, is what got you thrown into jail. You still smell like jail, but you're praying for more boldness? Verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power, may miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they went back into the community to teach and to preach and to heal people with the power that God had given them, all the while knowing that they were likely going to get into more trouble again. And part of the reason that they went back out into the community to heal and to teach about Jesus even though they were threatened with more persecution, they went back to heal and to teach about Jesus because that was their mission from God. 
And well, word gets outside of Jerusalem, the city that they were in, that something powerful is going on. And so dozens and, and then hundreds of people from the surrounding communities outside of Jerusalem begin flocking inside Jerusalem. Uh, they bring their sick, they bring the people who are lame, they bring their blind. And they bring them into the city because they've heard rumors that there's a group of people that can lay their hands on the sick, and then those people would be healed. And because Jesus has sort of given these apostles the power to be able to heal people, and that healing was sort of just a temporary sign for the people that were healed, and also the people that were watching, that God was up to something unusual. That these healings began causing sort of a disruption in the city, though, uh, primarily because the Jewish religious leaders were feeling threatened and jealous because the people weren't coming to them for help anymore. People were going to Peter and John and the other Jesus followers and the apostles. We're going to start reading in Acts chapter 5. You can follow along the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, you can head to bible.com slash app. Uh, once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and then you can find our church. Uh, we'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. So people were sort of being healed and, and they were putting their trust in Jesus and so, verse 17 of chapter 5, the high priest and his high officials were Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So again, the Jewish religious leaders, they have Peter and John arrested again, but they also have all the other apostles arrested as well. And these Jewish religious leaders were trying to literally kind of scare the Jesus out of the Jesus followers. Uh, verse 19, but an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And so at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. Now, when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the full high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for the trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. And so they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Verse 24, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. So now, at this point, the Jewish priests and the religious leaders are absolutely furious. And so, verse 26, the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Verse 27, then they brought the apostles before the high priest and the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Now, it's kind of interesting that the high priest doesn't even want to say Jesus' name, and he definitely doesn't want these people, the apostles, to preach and teach about Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that that name, Jesus, is still disruptive today? Uh, whether you're in the marketplace or with some family friends, some neighbors, talking about a sort of a generic God is fine, but bringing Jesus into the conversation, it can cause a disruption for some people. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. And this is just sort of a few months after the resurrection. And these Jewish religious leaders are sort of feeling threatened because Peter, John, and the other disciples are telling the story of Jesus in a way that makes it sound like the religious leaders were guilty for his death. 
Now they're likely thinking like, well, that's because you actually are guilty for Jesus' death. Like we were all there, like you had him arrested, you tried him in a mock trial, and then you begged for the Romans to crucify him. You are guilty. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Verse 29, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, a quick disclaimer, uh, this verse is an important one to understand in its original context, which is incredibly important. And what I'm about to say might sound political, but I hope you will see that it's not meant as political. That a lot of our understanding and application of this verse has to do with the translation of the word rather. That in our polarized world that sees things as either or much easier than both and, this might sound like you are to obey God or obey human authorities. Now that scenario though is, is much less likely in our nation right now, right? But this word rather can also mean to a greater degree, which would mean that there are times to obey only human authorities and there are times to obey God. Uh, but we must obey God to a greater degree at all times. And a big part of that distinction comes when there's a difference between what God and the human authorities are asking us to do. Uh, for example, there is a segment of the Christian population in our country that felt our local, state, or federal government should not have told churches during the pandemic that we couldn't meet in person for worship. And a big part of their reasoning was verses like this. However, very, one very important distinction uh, between what these Jewish leaders told Peter and the apostles and what our government told us during the pandemic is that to my knowledge, our government never told churches to stop prioritizing the mission of sharing the good news about Jesus. Uh, mostly we had to live out that mission differently. And the government required us to not meet inside together, but they also told restaurants to not let people eat inside and businesses to not have non-essential employees working inside and so many other industries. Uh, another significant distinction in the application of this verse is about who is bringing life and who is bringing death. Uh, most of us would agree that God brings life and his enemy brings death. And then in this example from Acts chapter 5, the Jewish religious leaders were threatening violence. And as we'll see today, they also threatened death if the early church leaders didn't listen to them. However, in our context during this pandemic, death literally was a higher probability for churches who didn't follow the government's guidance about meeting inside, masks, and so many other things. Now, that isn't to say that some government officials didn't overstep their authority. Some likely did. The point is this, that Peter and the apostles are not saying we should never obey human authorities, but to a greater degree, we are to obey God. And so Peter and the apostles, they continue responding to the Jewish religious leaders in verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. And this is where it sort of puts Christianity on a different category. That This isn't about something that we heard about. This isn't even something that we just believe. This is about something we saw and experienced. And so Peter expresses to the group that he's going to continue to preach every time he gets a chance. And so when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because these same Jewish leaders also put Jesus to death, right? Because the high council might be thinking sort of like, well, we got rid of that one, that Jesus guy, and if we can get rid of these 12, then maybe this thing finally comes to an end. Uh, but then an interesting objection comes up. 
verse 34. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, was an expert in the religious law and respected by all the people. He stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. And then he said to his fellow colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Thudius, who pretended to be someone great. And that was basically about 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways and the whole movement came to nothing. Now there's no extra biblical record of Thudius, so the only thing that we know about Thudius is this verse. But apparently he sort of stirred up a group of people and had 400 followers and he was going to do something, but Rome said, I don't think so, and squashed him like a bug. And that movement sort of went away. And they would sort of be like, oh yeah, that Thudius thing, we sort of remember that, they didn't really go anywhere. And then Gamaliel says this in verse 37, After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. Now there is actually extra biblical literature that talks about Judas the Galilean. Uh, Judas the Galilean lived at the time when the governor of Syria decided to do a census. And the purpose for the census was basically to determine taxes. But Judas the Galilean said, no, I'm not going to participate in a census. And so he started a, move, a movement. Verse 37, after him at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too. And all his followers were scattered. And so Gamaliel is sort of reminding the other Jewish religious leaders about previous movements that, that eventually just ended, just like Judas of Galilee. And those missions ended and were not accomplished. Verse 38, so my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. And even though at the time it might seem like a big deal, you know, sort of remember those things, they seemed like a big deal at the time. You remember what Rome did, right? Like Rome came and then just sort of squashed them and, and we didn't have to get involved. Uh, that verse 38, another translation says it this way, that last part, if, for, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. And so if this is just another movement with a radical purpose or a radical mission, then it will eventually fail, either because they will sort of make mistakes or because Rome won't let them succeed. And at least initially, Rome wasn't against Christianity specifically. They were against any movement that could disrupt their authority. And so if this human movement is against Rome, well, come on, like that's just not gonna work, right? And if you want to sort of add on that spiritual component, you could say like, well, without God, this thing will fail because, well, again, Rome is bigger. And so regarding Peter and John and the other Jesus followers, let's just sort of wait. Like Rome will eventually solve our problem for, for us, he would say. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God, he said. Now, make sure you sort of hear the implications of this statement that Gamaliel is saying the only thing that could overcome the power and control of Rome is God. Now, also, the only thing that could overcome the mission of God is God. If there's going to be some sort of breakthrough movement, if there's going to be some sort of change in society, if there's going to be a new thing in this time, in this part of the world, it will take an act of God, he said. And yet today, in Rome, there are crosses everywhere. And not just crosses representing crucifixion in general, but crosses representing a single crucifixion that we only know about because of a resurrection. And there's no Roman Empire anymore, and yet the city of Rome is considered by many to be, the, to be a capital for Christianity. Gamaliel was right that the only thing that could overcome the Roman, the power and control of the Roman government is God. And so let's pause for a moment to translate that to us. That the only thing that can overcome our obstacles is God. In some ways, our obstacles are similar to each other. We have COVID and isolation and uncertainty and on and on. And God can certainly overcome those obstacles, 
But even with your specific obstacles, your fears about being bold about sharing your faith, your, your financial issues, your, your lack of peace or connection with your friends or your family, your lack of purpose or direction in your life, God can overcome all of those obstacles. Uh, okay, back to Gamaliel and his speech about uh, what to do with these early Jesus followers, to sort of let them go, because if they are not engaging in the mission of God, then their movement will fail anyhow. But if they are engaging in the mission of God, then it won't matter what these Jewish religious leaders do to them anyhow. Verse 40, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, I think for those of us who are my age and older, I'm not sure we really knew what flogging was until we saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Now, if you're younger than me, you might need to sort of watch that movie at some point to get an idea of what this was all about. Because we read this word flog and we sort of think well, like, ouch, like that was sort of being whipped and beaten. And we really have no idea what it means. When in reality, flogging alone led to death for some people because it was a whip with nine tails with, with bits of rock and wood and glass tied into it. And the people were whipped as, as their skin on their back was sort of ripped off and their stomach as well. And it would cause excruciating pain. And this would permanently scar the bodies of those people and they would be talked about every time someone saw them. That every time their shirt changed or every time they went swimming or every time they bathed, it was a visual reminder of this day and this flogging. And so we read this and not realizing the pain, but we also don't realize the time it would have taken for each of them to be flogged. Uh, maybe even one at a time. And while you're watching your closest friends being whipped and beaten while also experiencing that same punishment. And our temptation is sort of rush past this verse, not realizing this verse took hours and involved hearing your friends scream out and cry in pain. How would you respond to something like that? How would you stop pursuing this mission from God if that was what was threatened to you? Would you stop participating in this mission from God if you were threatened with more punishment like that if you didn't stop participating in the mission of God? Well, here's how those first century Jesus followers responded when the hits just kept on coming. Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Like, wait a second, you were permanently scarred for the rest of your life? People will see your scars and know that to some extent you were considered a criminal? And you're leaving that situation rejoicing about it? I think they were able to rejoice in this situation because they sort of saw their life and their mission differently than we see our life and our mission. That we're afraid of, of some negative things happening because we're on a mission with God. And these first century Jesus followers, I'm not sure they would have known what to do with that because many times something negative happening to them and the mission of God, they, they sort of seem synonymous uh, for many of the first century followers. And yet because that mission transformed their own lives and the lives of others, they would keep on going. And part of the reason I think they kept on going was because the negative things that were happening were so small compared to the good news that they were sharing with people that they experienced, but also these negative things were small in comparison to the other lives that could potentially be transformed by this mission. And another big part of the reason they kept on going in the first century, even when facing terrible persecution, they kept participating in the mission of God because their perspective on persecution was very different. Uh, they would say, to have suffered, to have lost something, to, to have given up something, to be disfigured because of the name of Jesus, that's something I'm proud of. He gave his life for me, I gave up the skin on my back for him. He gave his life for me, and I gave up my reputation for him. 
He gave up his life for me. I gave up a bonus. I'm not ashamed of that. It's my most prized possession, they would say. And that's how it seems that they thought about persecution. And yet, we live in some of the safest neighborhoods in the whole world, and we're afraid somebody's not going to like us. We're afraid we won't be invited to something. We're afraid of a lot of things. And at times, to be honest, I'm no exception. And yet, again, here's how they responded. Verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. And they didn't even go to a different city to pursue this mission, to teach and preach about Jesus, because this is the same city where they were flogged previously, and they were warned by these people not to be talking about Jesus. Because the mission was still their priority, because people were their priority. And mission is still our priority because people are God's priority. And while we have a lot of differences between us and these first century Jesus followers, our mission is still the same, to teach and to preach the message of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, to share the good news of Jesus with other people. Because Jesus can transform lives. He can provide hope in hopeless situations. He can bring freedom from addictions, from trauma, and from unhealthy cycles of life. And Jesus can bring new life to people looking to get rid of their old life. And these early Jesus followers continue to pursue the mission of God for the sake of people. And so how do we respond to that? What do we do after that? Like we could sort of just sit here for a while and, and reflect on this story and the example of these early Jesus followers. Uh, I could also share some modern day stories of Jesus followers in, in different parts of the world who have recently, not long ago, but recently been persecuted for their faith. Uh, they can't get work or they're tattooed as a Christian to be identified in society or, or they've been ostracized from their families. And the problem is that those stories, they, they feel so far away from our circumstances because while they are important to hear about, the reality is we really can't relate to them. And so instead of that, I want to spend some time asking God to show us the steps that we can take to continue to prioritize His mission for the world right now and for this next week ahead. Before we do that, though, I wanted to highlight one significant byproduct of continuing to prioritize the mission of God even when the hits just keep on coming that you can find purpose and meaning in life through the mission of God. That our mission is to share the good news of Jesus through teaching, through preaching, through living, through talking, and loving other people. You don't need to be a preacher or a teacher like me to do that. You can share the good news of Jesus by how you live your life at work and school and home. But I do think that there needs to be some element of boldness involved. And for some of you, that might mean praying before your meal when you're out in public. Uh, for others of you, that might mean having a spiritual conversation with that person. You know that person, that person that comes to mind as soon as I said that. Uh, for some of you, you, you need to prioritize the mission of God. You need to do that by serving and, and giving at a, a food shelter or a food bank. Uh, for others of you, you need to prioritize the mission of God. You, you need to spend regular time helping someone learn about their faith and grow in their faith. Uh, for some of you, you need to sort of ask God to give you boldness and opportunities to share your faith. The point is that participating in the mission of God can be fulfilling, meaningful, and add purpose to your life because you're participating in the story and the activity of God in the world. And even when the hits just keep on coming, God's mission is still our priority because people are God's priority. So let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this story. Thank you for the examples of the early Jesus followers. And we realize that without them, there's no way the message of Jesus would have gotten to us because many times we look at our faith and our lack of boldness at times and we think, man, there's no way we would have survived that. We wouldn't have been able to keep the message going. So God, would you help us in our context, which is so different from the first century. We have so much more privilege and opportunity and status and 
God, than, than those people in the first century. So would you help us know how to leverage that to help others? Not just to use it for ourselves and to bless us, but would you help us to, to find ways to bless other people? To, to use our status and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with other people. That we would be all about your mission in the world. Through how we work, through how we play, through how we interact with people, that we'd be focused on you, God. So would you help show us the steps that we can take? And each one of us are a little bit of an individual, in a sense, that, that you might show one of us something different than the other one of us. But God, also, the collective experiences that you want us to pursue our mission of, of helping us share the good news of Jesus with others. So God, would you show us now? Would you show us today in this moment? Would you show us throughout this week ahead how we can participate and engage in your mission in the world and still prioritize it? That we wouldn't be too busy, that we wouldn't just not say something because it's easier not to say something. Would you help us to see the ways that we can engage in sharing Jesus with others? God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the people who shared Jesus with us. Would you help us to do the same for others? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.